Welcome to the Scary Serengeti, where your host, David Swear and Matthew Kinnear. Stop what you're doing and subscribe to our podcast and leave us an awesome five-star review and follow us at Serengeti Sec on Twitter. We're here to talk about cybersecurity and technology news headlines and hopefully provide some insight, analysis, and practical application that you can take into the office to help you protect your organization. And as usual, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast ours are ours alone and do not reflect the views or opinions of our employers. Especially, the latest Microsoft Teams bug might be more threatening if Teams could stay up longer than five minutes at a time. Yeah, it'd be better if you just didn't use it. Yeah, I think you'd only... use this as a good excuse to get rid of it. Like, oh, it's too dangerous for use. Throw it out. <laughs> you know, I hear all the cool kids are using Slack. That's so what is, they say, for sure. It's super annoying, actually, because I have to maintain Slack for some things, Discord for some things. And then teams Discord, for really? other things. Yeah. Interesting. Not less for professional stuff, but still. Like we should just all be uh, on IRC. Yeah. We should just all be on IRC. Yeah. <laughs> That's what the kids cool, cool like cool kids used to use. All right. But our first article is Solar Winds Execs targeted by SEC CEO vows to fight. And this comes to us from Dark Vows to fight. <laughs> so it'll be settled yeah, by fisticuffs. Well, you notice it says SolarWinds execs, and then the CEO vows to fight. If it said SolarWinds low-level employees are targeted by SEC, CEO goes on vacation. <laughs> CEO <laughs> throws them under the bus. <laughs> Would have been the subtitle there. Yep. CEO, it would already been like, CEO provides evidence or something like that. <laughs> yep. Would have been the subtitle. You know, there's another one. That we're going to talk about next week that actually they do. There was a, there was a, well, I noticed in one of the lawsuits or whatever, one of the lower level traders got charged. And I was like, wait a second, aren't the managers technically responsible? Forget that. Yeah. All right. So, what this is all about is the Securities and Exchange Commission, otherwise known as the SEC, has issued a Wells notice mm. to the SolarWinds executives that intends to bring enforcement actions against them for their role in the 20, 2020 SolarWinds cyber incident. Now, if you've been listening to us for a while, you may remember that we covered a SEC Wells notice related to, to SolarWinds against the company last November, which was in episode 86. That's back right. in the day. <laughs> yeah, ancient times. But it alleges that they violated laws related to the breach disclosure, as well as controls and procedures. But the thing is, even though they issued that Wells notice back in November, we have not actually seen any enforcement actions taken against them since that time. So I'm wondering if this is just more threats. They're trying to, you know, strong arm solar winds into doing something without actually ending up taking them to court or not. Because the Wells notice is not legally required. It just seems to be standard practice. So I'm not sure why issue one, unless they are attempting to use that as kind of a not a not so veiled threat in order to get SolarWinds to do something else. To do what though? <laughs> no, no. I'm not sure. No, I mean, no, like I said, this complete speculation on my part. It just seems weird to say they threatened them, uh, you know, a year ago. And yet they don't take any action. Well, you know, actually, we're going to talk about this next week again. <laughs> are we talking about, I think we're talking about the end of this episode, the anchor chat. 
No, we're talking about the next episode. It took yeah. them like three years to charge people from that. Yeah, well, maybe they the just French so they had to take they had to take lunch and <laughs> afternoon tea. <laughs> yep. And you know, have some bread and wine. Well, when I was in the army, so in the army they had this 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 war game in Germany called Reforger. Mm-hmm. And I I talked to guys who participated in that before, and and the, the French would would participate sometimes. Apparently, the French army used to have a a bread truck, a literal bread truck that followed them around. They used to raid the French bread truck <laughs> and steal bread from the French because the bread was it was good, homemade homemade or fresh bread, uh, homemade French French bread. What if there was Italian bread in the French bread truck? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know how the how will the Italians and the French get along. But anyway, I don't, it, like I said, it's been a year. So maybe this is just an indicator that they are, are finally getting around to taking action since they filed the second one to kind of go with the first one. But SolarWinds has already paid out $26 million in a class action lawsuit. And their stock has continued its slow decline. It's down around 10 bucks right now. Jeez. Where did it start off? Yeah, it was 25 Oh, so it's dropped uh, down 60%. Yeah, when the event happened. And it's kind of like ups and downs, but slowly moving downward till it's gotten to this point. And I think if, you know, if this actually goes through, SolarWinds might not be long for the world. That's so interesting that they actually, what finally got them wasn't the incident, but the government. <laughs> That's kind of like so many people that don't die from their wounds, but die from gangrene. Yeah, I, I'm so curious why the government is so on this one. It doesn't, as far as I saw, I don't recall SolarWinds being particularly negligent in this one versus some of the other ones we've seen where there are little to no protections. Like the, the there was the Uber one where the guy tried to hide it and he got, he was recently found guilty. Yeah. Well, I think uh, uh, this is probably stems from the fact that the governmently, government was overly impacted by this because mm. it was a state actor. And of those that were targeted by yeah, the only state targeted actors, a few, right? Yeah, um, was them, and and of course the government said threw out Solar Winds and replaced them with some. Who knows what they're using now? But Solar Winds was thrown out by the government. Jim Bob's uh, bait and tackle. <laughs> could be, could be. They do produce software now. Uh, Fish Tracker nine thousand. I think it's it's <laughs> what. But so the government had to find something else and threw out Solar Winds, so they're probably not happy about that. I mean, I think this is. This is not justice, but punitive. Yeah, I haven't seen yes. anything that makes them especially deserve this over any of the many breaches that we've seen over the last few years. Right. Or, or I, I just say in the fact of how intricate that one was, you know, I think, you know, this, this one I think is, is, was more complex and scarier than the Sony one, which they made a big deal about. Well, they shouldn't have taunted Kim Jong-un or Kim Jong-il, which one? I don't even remember which one. And I think Gil is the father. Romri. Hey, maybe we should do that. And maybe we can get some publicity when we get hacked by the North Koreans. <laughs> well, if that actually leads to money, am I interested in that? Which I'm skeptical. <laughs> I thought that's how it worked. You got downloads and you're an influencer and somebody pays you something. I don't know. And I think that the thing about there's, there's no such thing as bad publicity is for those people who already have publicity. If you start out and the only thing you have is bad publicity, don't think that's great. 
But the reason this is something that we're talking about is if this actually leads to legal action against the company executives for what the government says was an organizational failure to be, you know, quote unquote, secure enough, I think this is going to have a huge impact on the way companies handle security going forward. Because this is, this is where it's going to show that the executives are actually responsible, you know, and they're not going to go down with the ship, which means they're going to start- <laughs> Never do. They're going to start diverting organizational resources to increase the security of of where they work at. And I mean, sure, a lot of security people are going to say, well, that, that's what we wanted all along. But it, th what they're going to do is they're going to increase compliance, not necessarily actual security for one thing. You know, so they're going to start more rigidly applying a framework or something so they can point to that and say, oh, well, we strictly follow NIST or whatever. ISO 27001 or whatever the whatever framework you want to say as an excuse to say, well, you can't punish us because we follow that. Yeah. And on top of that, the more they invest in security, the less, less they can invest somewhere else in the company and the less risk that the company's willing to take in order to well, improve the way the company runs or to better take advantage of market forces or to capture a, a customer base or you know, there's trade-offs for security. It's not. What are you simply... talking about? They're just going to take it out of the profit. Of course, they'll just they'll just take a hit on profit and stock price. No, because some some. No, that's you know that that's not that's not how it'll work. There'll there'll be things that companies won't do or won't be able to do that's going to make them less competitive or not bring better products to market or something because of this. And then you know, I was actually wondering if if something like this is actually going to lead to executives have their own personal cybersecurity insurance of some sort. Mm -mm. Being individually charged, yeah. Right. So maybe they'll have some kind of li liability insurance or something like that as an executive. So if the government comes after them, they can, you know, have that insurance pay the fine or whatever, as long as it's not prison time for whatever they get charged with. Now, if it's prison time, then they'll hire somebody to sit in prison for A stand-in? <laughs> It's like the during the Civil War, wealthy people who got drafted, well, wealthy, the, the better off who got drafted in the North used to be able to pay for someone else to take their place My God. in the war. Similar kind of thing. Just pay some guy to serve your time in prison. How awesome would that be? For values of awesome. <laughs> well, awesome for those who can pay. Yeah. Uh, but I think you should pay attention to this case because uh, I think the outcome of this is going to have a huge impact on security because of what I just outlined with the executives suddenly deciding that security is incredibly important other than their, their, their vapid statements of the past. Uh, so, you know, you may get security things that you want, but your company's going to be shackled with more compliance, more security. They're going to be less nimble. And they're always going to pick the more secure action against whatever risk they have to make the trade-off for, which, like I said, is going to have an impact on people's bottom line and actually the production of good products and services. Our second article today, Microsoft Teams bug allows malware delivery from external accounts. This particular one's from Bleeping Computer, but here's a hat tip to John and Victor for bringing it to my attention. Turns out it is fairly simple to create an external account in Microsoft Teams and send malware phishing messages to Teams users. Two folks at JumpSec, Max Corbridge and Tom Elson, they were part of the red team, figured it out and reported it to Microsoft. The default configuration of Teams allows for messages to come from externally, but 
it does do a couple of things. It blocks files using client-side protections, and it shows a text external tag for the user so that the person they're talking to knows they're coming from outside the company. The researchers found that by modifying the post request, they could bypass the client-side protection. They just change the, there's apparently an external ID in the post and they can change that. And now Teams is like, oh, this is coming from inside the pants or whatever. <laughs> inside the house. Oh, oh, my bad. There's, <laughs> inside the pants. No, no, no. There's, there's seriously, <laughs> there's a comic. It's the God. There's a comic. <laughs> oh, give me a second. <laughs> there's a comic. The call is coming from oh. inside your pants. Just found there's some, someone's live journal from 2003. The call is coming from inside your pants. I swear to God, there's something. Here's a tweet uh, from 2011. I'm not finding the original source of this meme, but there was there was a there was something that. All right, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I'm sorry that uh, set me off a little bit. No worries. All right. So I actually wonder if this also removes the external text tag. It seems like if the message is not flagged as external anymore, it seems like it may also do that. I don't know anybody personally who's done the testing on this. Well, and I was I far too lazy Teams. to do it myself. I haven't used Teams. Is the tag prominent? Not really. I did see an example of what it looks like when somebody messages you from outside the organization. There's a small text tag that says this is coming from an external organization. I didn't think it was terribly prominent. Like you've seen some, some people, some places do emails oh, where yeah. it comes in. It's got like the big, this is from outside the corporation. Yeah, I've seen banners that are like half pages. Yeah. No, this is much, much smaller than that. So it could be bigger. So this was reported to Microsoft, but Microsoft declined to patch it. Well, technically they didn't decline to patch it. They said it does not meet the bar for immediate servicing. So in other words, we'll get around to it. It, 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 which is a little bit different than the way that Microsoft has been responding lately to say, oh, well, that's not a, that's not a, that's not a bug. It's a feature. It's a feature. <laughs> Malware delivery is a feature. Could be worse. Could be worse. All right. So my, my first question here is why in the world is teams relying on client side protections for security functions? I feel like every game makes this mistake as well. And then they get hacked because you can, you know, see where bad guys are, see where other people are, stuff like that. Yeah, install Punk Buster <laughs> in order to play this game. But this is something I thought we, we a lesson we learned decades ago that you don't Not Microsoft client side validation. Guess we were wrong. So I, I'm thinking personally that the, my personal opinion on this, and again, I'm not a software engineer. I, I code a little bit, but I wonder if they're refusing to fix this simply because moving from client side to server side checking is probably kind of a pain. I imagine it would involve a significant rewrite. Yeah, Microsoft doesn't like to do that. That's why you got code from, you know, DOS 6.2. Well, uh, you know, if it works most of the time, it's good enough. And is backwards compatible. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a true statement. The, so we did, I did find, well, I shouldn't say I found, somebody else found and, and told me, a little bird told me that the communication is not logged anywhere in the Microsoft logs, the common Microsoft logs. Uh, there was a bit in the article where JumpSec put in a request to add it in logs. Uh, I've been told that the chat logs for teams are stored in the mailboxes of users in a hidden folder. They're not logged to the cloud anywhere, any sort of centralized repository. 
I did do a little digging and I found out you can monitor Teams chat. Potentially, I found an article from 2021 talking about something called communication compliance. But when you do, when you enable that, you have to select which users to monitor and you have to monitor for specific keywords and conditions. You can't, you can't just log all the chat, which makes sense for a privacy, privacy standpoint. Yeah, that sounds like more like an e-discovery feature. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually glad about that because now I know that my company is probably not monitoring my team's chat and I'm going to feel free to say, just kidding. (laughs) Well, there's a difference between logging content and logging, you know, administrative logging to say, oh, you were, you know, the someone from an external party did this. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. But if it's logging locally. Well, no, it's in the mailbox. I was thinking it's you could use a Splunk forwarder. So that, I'm not sure. I don't. You think might you still can do be that. able to because it'll be on a PST or something. Well, then you got to parse the entire PST. Uh, yeah, but now you got then. their email too. <laughs> <laughs> it's a twofer. <laughs> I don't think that's a viable option. This is trouble, and now that this is public, I expect to see teams phishing based on how public your company is and how public your naming conventions emails are, and of course. There's websites where you can go and you can figure out what the naming convention for a company is. You can go to LinkedIn and collect all the names. I, I would expect to see a lot of Teams phishing in our future. Yeah, and a lot of organizations are using Teams because it, you know, is part of Office 365 and all yeah, that. It's free. Too. It's free. So what should you do about it? You can configure your Teams tenant to block external parties, and there is a whitelist for those you have legitimate business with. So that's probably your first action. If you are still concerned or you cannot block external parties for some reason, you may want to look at the monitoring. Since you have to choose who to monitor and put in keywords, you're going to have to pick pretty carefully. I don't know, things like invoice, paycheck, of course, especially if your policies are dialed in, where your policy is do not make changes to invoices over Teams. You know, here's our procedure for doing it. And then Hopefully. setting an alert for, you know, anytime anybody mentions invoice, that might be worth doing. Probably be noisy, but. Uh, yeah. I, and if you have phishing training, you probably should include IM in that. And also instructions on how they should uh, respond or report to phishing through IM. You know, I'm wondering if there's a way to do like a report phishing button in, in like teams, teams or, or, or Slack or, be interesting. you know, if anybody's even thinking about doing something like that. No, that's a good idea. And it like packages up the chat <laughs> and then emails the chat up to the security team. That's because it feels like we have to relearn these phishing lessons every time businesses move to a new platform. Cause we talked about the WhatsApp phishing. We've talked about text phishing. We've talked about email phishing. We've talked about phone phishing. Now it's Teams phishing. Soon it'll be Snapchat because we'll be doing all our business on Snapchat because we're sick of Teams. Yep. Uh, Japan's digital ID card gets emergency review amid data leaks. Uh, and this comes to us from the register. That's yeah, kind of a bland headline for the register. Disappointed. I know. I'm very... Hmm. But the Japanese prime min- minister has ordered an emergency review of the, na- the nation's ID cards amid revelations of glitches and data leaks. So the reviews will have a priority comparable with the government response to COVID. So if you thought that governments would respond to COVID as if it were a big deal, (laughs) expect them to do that, which hopefully that means that that's that's the pity with which they're going to respond, not necessarily the quality (laughs) of the response, I guess. But to quote them, they say, ensuring public trust is essential 
of the transition to a digital society, the government will make all out effort, make, yeah, will make all out effort to regain the trust of the people as soon as possible. I wish our government cared this much to pretend that they were going to do something for us. Oh, I mean, they always say this. <laughs> But this issue is around what they call the my number card, which is bizarre. It translates differently in Japanese. I I assume so. It's like the Simpsons is like the smileys or something like that. So the card is called my number. Unique identification for all Japanese residents and is necessary to access some government services. And apparently this is this is created created by Fujitsu, which is the largest IT company in Japan. And these cards are equipped with NFC chips, and the government plans to use them in an authentication as a service offering that private private businesses can use. It's designed to replace their health insurance card and to allow the the printing of administrative documents at convenience stores. I trust the printers at convenience stores 100%. Of course. Why wouldn't you? It's convenient. (laughs) But the data leaks that they're talking about, there have been issues where people with similar names have received cards intended for other people, and some recipients have gotten cards that are linked to somebody else's records. So it has their name on the card, but like when you check, it's not them? Right. Hmm. So it's like, you know, I got, my card has my name on it, but when I, when I access the data related to that card, I've got your information. No, and this is just the errors in the rollout. Wait until these cards actually start getting attacked. <laughs> you know, because there's going to be a central database. There's going to have to be a method for lost cards. Using the cards without the card present transaction kind of stuff, like, like you see with credit cards. And, and imagine what can be done with this information that's just, I mean, all these things that we're talking about, it, you've already seen with credit card fraud and a credit card theft now imagine that same thing with a credit card with a card that has everything about a person on it all their medical history all sorts of other personal details about it and if most businesses adapt them for this authentication as a service uh, a card compromise could lead to an unbelievable or unheard of level of compromise for for an individual that goes way beyond identity theft and for Americans, you say, well, this is Japan. What do we care? Well, the U.S. has already passed the Real ID Act of 2005, which is just a little while ago. That was supposed to be implemented in 2008, but thankfully there have been delays due to, due to quote unquote, widespread opposition and refusal by many state governments to implement them. But unfortunately, by 2020, all states were certified for the digital ID uh, despite the fact that several states passed laws to prohibit that that certification. But of course, the government's changed and then they repealed those laws. And right now it's scheduled for May 7th of 2025 that you would have to have a real ID to board a domestic flight in the United States or use your passport. Yeah, so I went looking for how the real ID was different than normal ID and I couldn't find anything. I don't know. Did you ever, did you look into that at all or just? I looked into a little bit and what it seems is that the databases are shared across all the states that participate. 
Oh, interesting. And they couldn't uh, do that with the regular, with the regular databases. I, I I don't know, but that's that's one of the issues where there are complaints saying that oh well, this isn't a national ID card because there's no central database. But if all the databases are linked together, that's still the equivalent. And while this is, you know, seems limited right now, you can expect that the government's going to start expanding that to put more data on the card and they're going to digitize it over time. So where Japan's at, you know, we're going in that direction. And if you've seen anything about the way the government implements stuff, it's going to be terrible. <laughs> I mean, just look at the, the Obamacare website and Oof. the OPM breach. You know, just put those two things together and that's where we're headed. Yay. Fun. But the only thing you can do about it is, is complain. Loudly and often. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you're really not going to, it's not going to take us anywhere. Unfortunately, I don't really see a, I don't really, I don't have a lot of faith in our ability to change the way the trajectory of this. I would have, I would have, I would have more confidence if there were states that still were holding out. But the fact that several states passed laws specifically against this and then changed their minds just shows that you know the the federal government will strong arm states and eventually the states will buckle, and you're just going to be stuck. So this reminds me, and this isn't exact. This reminds me of the Upton Sinclair quote about it is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding mm. it, mm -hmm. except it's, this is difficult to get a group of politicians to understand something when their power depends on them not understanding it. Right. Well, you can never expect the government to limit its own power. Yeah. And on that happy note, that is all the articles we have for today. Thank you for joining us and, and follow us at Serengeti Sec on Twitter and subscribe on your favorite podcast app.